everybody and welcome once again to the official New Japan Pro Wrestling English podcast. My name is Chris Charlton and we have a very busy table here that we all huddled around very closely uh, because next to me to my right is, as ever, Michael Graydon. Thank you for welcoming me again, Chris. And next to me on my left is our special guest. Well, this is the sniper of the skies, Robbie Eagles, Bullet Club's own. Yeah, right. Every time we have a guest on this podcast is deliberately orchestrated by you, Michael. It's not, actually. Just the Bullet Club seem to be more accessible. Seem to be more accessible. We're willing to speak our mind a little bit more, so when we have a platform to get the message across, hey, we're not going to... I see. I get it. I get it. I get it. I don't have any any water with me here, so you can't (laughs) knock it over. Well, I'm currently sitting down and I would normally kick that water over, so that would be a little uh, difficult in this point in time anyway. Flashing your offense. Correct, correct. I've got to stand out. Whereas, like, Farley is more of a direct. Yeah. Right, right. No messing about. Well, I promise, Farley, that the two of you will do a podcast together in the near future. (laughs) Right, well, hopefully, you know, we've had Gino on the podcast. Me and Gino got on. Yeah, okay, not too bad. It was cordial. Yeah. You know, so hopefully, if I win over the Australian side. I went over the kangaroos. You can start infiltrating, right? Right. Did he he just call you a kangaroo? Well, I mean, I understand being a junior heavyweight wrestler and hopping about the ring that there's some resemblance Uh, in the Australian link. I understand, but I am Robbie Eagles for the reason of my flight abilities. So don't get too confused there, Chris. We want to make sure that you know your animals right and your pro wrestling (laughs) correct as well. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we are right in the middle of Best Super Juniors. Um, two days, two off days. We're right, as we're recording this, we're in the two off days before the three three Korokuen shows, and then one more Chiba, all singles matches. So, how's the tour been so far, and how have you been recovering over these couple of days before your know, really intense schedule? I've really uh, found the ability to kind of just rest as much as possible where possible. So through touring and through traveling from town to town, there's not always an opportunity to rest the way I would uh, on a lighter schedule. So what I'm doing is just taking it as easy as I can when I need to, but as soon as it's go time and it's preparing for the match and warming up, then it's full steam ahead right up until the match. And then it's cool down session, you know, uh, stretching a lot of, um, bath salts and having some long hot baths and you know also icing parts that are quite sore and tender after the matches Uh, I'm doing all the right things and trying to get as much sleep as possible because I don't want to be you know unrested going into a hard singles match in this tournament which has been so tough Um, so I'm getting through it Uh, one loss down two wins up so it's a pretty good track record so far. I'd like to see more in the wins column than the loss column, and that's definitely what I'm aiming for. So through this uh, resting period, I'm also strategizing. I'm also preparing for my next three opponents and the fourth after that as well. So I've got strategies in my back pocket. I'm not willing to share them here on the podcast because I don't want some of our English-speaking uh, compatriots in the tournament to hear this and sort of know what I'm coming after. So I'm going to keep that to myself for now, and maybe behind closed doors I'll I'll fill you in a little bit, Chris, if you're so lucky. All right. How I mean, how has the schedule differed from how you imagined it? Because, like, second time in Japan, the first time you were in the tag tournament, the tag league, so a little bit of a different layout. Um, were you 
preparing? How were you preparing before the tour? Is it any different to how you were expecting? And how is the schedule here different to what your usual working schedule would be in Australia or other parts of the world? The, the way I prepared for it, and uh, Mr. Craven was actually fortunate enough to see some of it, is I kind of just took every and any challenger I could leading up to the best of the super juniors. And I kind of filled up my schedule as much as I could. And some people would quite do the opposite. You know, they don't want to risk injury. They don't want to risk getting hurt or being uh, not at 100%. But the way I looked at it is to prepare myself for nine singles matches, plus a lot of traveling and other tag team style matches along the way. Um, I needed to take all the fighting opportunities I could. And I did that in quite fashion. And I came out victorious in a lot of those opportunities, but there were still a few bumps and bruises along the way, but that makes me tougher out at the end of it. Actually, one of my biggest surprises was seeing you wrestle in Australia, hearing everybody going, Robbie, 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 oi, oi, oi. I might be doing that wrong. No, no. It's, it's quite correct, yeah. It's a very iconic uh, Australian sort of cheering uh, anthem for sports stars, you know, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. But they've adapted that to my name, which is uh, quite, um, you know, prestigious for me because it's not just one town or one city. It's a lot of the people from our country. And even when I travel overseas, whether it's in the USA or somewhere else, there's often one or two people planted in those audiences that have either come from Australia or understand the Australian culture. And I hear that, whether it's loud or soft. So it's quite cool to, to hear that and for you to be there a part of it. Hopefully it resonated. Yeah. I'd imagine like that's something we might hear coming into Corricone where you do have like that more of a, well, I don't want to say knowledgeable crowd, but that, that Tokyo fan base is usually more, um, you know, more international and you, you'd get those voices more. But I mean, you've rec- you've wrestled in Corricone before, but... Um, well, I suppose back in October, you were in different parts of the country, and now to this tour, we've been, what, Sendai, Yamagata. Um, how do the different towns, the reaction from the different towns, places you've never been before, um, how, has the, how has the reaction been from the crowd? The crowd has been very generous to all of us, I believe. You know, um, I can understand why Bullet Club members might not be some people's favorite or their cup of tea in all the towns, but people have still been rooting for us and there's still been signs for myself and Phantasma and Ishimori. Uh, so it's great to see people barracking behind us and wanting to see us win in this tournament. It was a little difficult when Phantasma and I had to face each other. That was that was yeah. a tough one for me personally. Yeah. But uh, we knew when we understood what the block system was going to be and there was well, three of us in the tournament. Yeah. Was that was actually happen. interesting because I saw you wrestle more your style that I see you wrestle in Australia. And it was a match that really impressed me. I really enjoyed that match between the two of you. But I think that's... Like that match, I think people would see the card and see Robbie Eagles opposite El Fantasma and expect maybe a certain style of match, probably more the Robbie Eagles style of match. And then El Fantasma was uh, working to his style, shall we say, which was a little bit more underhanded. Yeah, definitely a little bit more underhanded than I'm used to. Uh, I've been trying to listen to people like uh, Jay, like Tama, like Fale, who's, you know, one of my senpais and got me the opportunity to be in New Japan. So I've learned a lot from them and especially during that that tag league last year, I was picking up what they were putting down. They were always throwing suggestions and new tactics for me. And I was trying to incorporate that as much as I could, but I've got 11 years of wrestling my mm. style under my belt. So it's, it's kind of just trying to change the habits that I have. And that's probably what people saw more in that El Fantasmo match was me being, 
in a more comfortable position to wrestle the way I normally wrestle. But that doesn't mean that I'm not trying to win or I'm, you know, not trying to go as hard at different people. I was still trying to win that match. I was just looking at more of a, a budding rivalry sort of bros against bros almost is the way I like to put it. And that's why I didn't think he was going to do the things that he did towards the final minutes of the match. But understandably, I've had time to rest and relax on it. And I know it's a it's a tournament. We all have to win or someone has to win at the end of the day. And we all want to. So good. props to El Fantasmo for doing what I couldn't. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure one of us will go on to the finals either way. Well, Billy, Billy Club's fine. Billy yeah. Club's fine. Yeah, I like, to, fine. I like to use that. <laughs> well, going back to your experience, it's act, for me, it was actually very interesting when I found out who trained you. And yeah. about your training, would you like to talk a little yeah, bit because, about that? I mean, when you were coming in, your comments to Rocky Romero before the start mm. of the tournament, and, uh, you know, you don't know me, you don't know my family, right? But you weren't born in Eagles, right? You got that name. So yeah. tell us about your... So, so my trainer is Madison Eagles, who's been ranked as one of the uh, top women's wrestlers in the world. Uh, at one stage, she was ranked number one in uh, different types of mediums. And for us, that's a, a huge achievement coming from Australia. She's toured the United States. She's actually wrestled in Japan uh, a few times before as well. And she was always renowned as a pound-for-pound pound tough wrestler. And we never sort of looked at it from a gender perspective because a lot of the wrestlers that you see in Australia, especially on the East Coast, have had some form of training with Madison Eagles. And they can all tell you that they're licking their wounds after a, a sparring session with her because she doesn't pull the punches. Um, and that primed me to be here today because it really made me start off uh, from a tough upbringing, I guess. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, good enough was good enough. It was, it was either perfection or it was nothing. So, um, I mean, you mentioned 11, year, 11 years pro, right? So the scene, especially in Australia, you know, because you've kind of been on the world scene for, you know, less than that. You know, it's, it's been a recent thing, especially with New Japan now. There's lots of new fans that are just getting to know Robbie Eagles. But you've been around for years and years, right? So how has, like, the, the scene in Australia evolved over the last few years and how have you evolved along with it? It's, it's definitely exploded into that world stage. It, people are now looking at it from all around. And uh, I'm sure you guys have seen things pop up on social media or, or things like YouTube. And it, the accessibility of that the internet allows us now just makes it so instantaneous for people to see what we're doing. So as soon as there's a little bit of buzz or hype or excitement behind an event or a match or something, it's very easy for the world to take notice. And I think that all started when... Will Ospreay ventured off to our country and he had a, a few rounds of matches and I was lucky enough to not only wrestle him once on his first trip but also have a triple threat match with him in another state as well. And those matches with myself, Adam Brooks and Will Ospreay really made people go, okay, this isn't just uh, a standard Will Ospreay match. These are of a very high caliber. Th these two local Australian guys are giving Will a run for his money and making him really push himself. So it was about us proving to not only Will, but the rest of the world that we're just as good as people from America, from Mexico, from the UK, you know, the, the main wrestling countries, quote unquote, that we shouldn't be overlooked or unnoticed. We're, we're now going to sort of take this buzz and this ability of social media and the internet and really shove it in front of people's faces and come together as a collective. And I think that's what's happened with the Australian scene is you're seeing more of a 
more of like a family presentation. We're all like bonding together and um, trying to create something really special, but also showing the whole world what we are capable of. If you if you push us, uh, get our backs up against the wall, we're going to come out swinging. So that's what we've been doing for the last, I'd say, two years since those first rounds of Will Ospreay venturing to our shores. A couple of points I want to add. Um, first, the promotion you're from, you really are like a family. I've seen the atmosphere. I've seen how everybody cares for each other. It's really unique. It's something really wonderful. But when I first went to Australia, the, the first thing everybody said to me is, oh, Robbie's wrestling with you guys. Have you seen the Osprey match? It's a banger, I think is the word that they use. <laughs> so banger for you Canadians out there is a barn burner. And I watched it. It was a, just outstanding. I, I think like when we had... The, the names were floating around the investor super juniors and, and before the official announcements, but your name came up and yeah, I think a lot of people in the cover pro wrestling were saying, well, if Robbie Eagles and versus Will Ospreay is, isn't on one of these cards and that's a massive waste, you know, and now here we are, it's, it's coming up on, it's this Saturday, I believe, right? You're in the semi main in Chiba. And, um, how does that, feel knowing this match is coming up you've you've had like this great match already and especially with osprey and best of the super juniors and people think back to a couple of years ago with ricochet and like everything that evolved from there so like there's kind of an ex there's a huge expectation mm. around this match maybe you know more if you look at it on a global perspective maybe more than you've ever had Right. So how are you feeling now going into that match, first of all, and then knowing you've got three matches to get to before that point? Yeah, it's, it's quite daunting. And thank you for just, you know, making me think about it even more than I was. <laughs> I was saying that I was strategizing and I'm planning my attack and I'm, you know, planning for what I'm going to do into all these matches. But uh, yeah, now, now there's a little bit of doubt. Uh, there is a high expectation and there's definitely a spotlight on both Will and myself in this matchup because of the expectation, like you mentioned. I just need to do my best to keep winning. So for me at this stage, we're, we're kind of in the later stages of the tournament. We're not quite halfway through, but we're mm. almost there. By, mm. by the later end of this week, we're going to be halfway through. Mm. So for me, it's just 100% full steam ahead. And, you know, if there's injuries or there's soreness or there's tiredness or there's, you know, things feeling rough, that's not going to matter anymore. I'm, I'm going to have to just keep going gung-ho and do everything I can. So the, the three matches I have before Wrestling Will and Chiba, um, they're just going to have to happen. And if I'm on one leg or on crutches or with a sling on my arm, then so be it. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to back away from this match because of that expectation. And I think the expectation is that uh, sparks fly when Will Ospreay and I take to the ring. And it's funny that he's Will Ospreay and I'm Robbie Eagles and there's two, you know, bird pronunciations. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is an expectation of the way that we wrestle. But I think if you look at the comparison of the two singles matches we had, which were both a year apart, one in 2017, our first meeting, mm. and then the rematch in 2018, both at PWA in Sydney, mm. um, they're two very different matches. By last year in 2018, Will had already adapted his style and he was starting to do a lot less high flying. Didn't mean he didn't still do it, but he was 
changing the way he was hitting harder. He was doing more uh, moves that required strong lift abilities. And that's because he was training in a different way. Uh, I also did the same thing. You know, I really understood what the Sniper of the Skies was about. And I started thinking back to my roots. And that's when the Ron Miller special became something that I brought back to my matches because that was actually given to me as my original finishing hold. So I had put that on the back burner and wrestled a certain style for about eight or nine years. Then I got to this point and I said, look, I already lost to Will once. I can't do that again. How can I come out the victor in this match? And that was my strategy. And that's why some people would have shown more of a sign of weakness or compassion when Will you know, self-inflicted injured his knee in the second match we had. But I targeted it and I went after it because I knew that's what needed to be done. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the Ron Miller special and um, me being a sort of wrestling history nerd. You know, I, I'm interested to dig into that, the, the history of who Ron Miller was. You're not a nerd, you're a Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> a living Wikipedia. Because, you know, the impression I get, and it's not just from you, but talking to Gino as well, because you have that sort of family-like connection within the Australian scene, I think... I, get the feeling that there's an immense sense of pride of like your history as a, as a wrestling nation, right? Yeah, that's correct. And again, it goes back to that us being unnoticed or unseen or overlooked. Uh, the wrestling that was shown on local Australian TV back in the day, as we like to say, was um, it was iconic. Uh, we had people come and fight our champions or champions from the U.S., like Andre the Giant, like Hulk Hogan. Ric Flair. Ric Flair as well. Harley Race had wrestled Ron Miller plenty of times before. All these great historic wrestling champions that everyone on the world stage knows actually came to Australia as a booming territory to make sure that they were, you know, quote-unquote the best, and they went up against our best. And Ron Miller was one of those guys. Um, there was people like Mario Milano, uh, Brute Bernard. There's so many names that we could list off, and what generally happens after we talk about them on a medium like this is people go on Google straight away. Yeah, right. And there's matches that are available. Um, now, the filming wasn't what it is now, and the quality is not the same. But if you go back, you can find these archives of these great wrestling matches, and some of them would often go to time limit draws. And another thing that brings back that pride and family element is a lot of these matches happened at Festival Hall which is one of the venues for the upcoming Southern Showdown event in Australia over Melbourne and Sydney and where the original Fallout tour happened in Melbourne as well. Mm. And that was a huge thing for us to have New Japan come to Festival Hall and host that event there because Festival Hall had not seen wrestling for, I think, something like 30 plus years at that stage. And it was all, always kind of regarded as like the mecca for us in the east coast of Australia. So to have wrestling come back to that illustrious building, which was almost knocked down like around six months ago. Uh -huh. there, there was petitions that happened to keep it uh, alive as a heritage building and it's actually passed. Mm -hmm. But we almost didn't have Festival Hall and we might have been talking about a different venue at this stage. But See, for me, um, choosing the venue, it was so important that I chose Festival Hall. And just actually talking to the owners of Festival Hall, I'm saying if the show does well, I'd like to do regular shows at the Festival Hall. And I don't think any other wrestling promotion has even thought about doing regular shows in how many years, Robbie, uh, in Festival Hall. And I'm seeing a positive response from the fans and being in the building, just the history of that building alone. You see it on the floors, you see it in the, the locker room areas. It's just amazing to be there. It's like our Kurakuen. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, they, those buildings, yeah, I've never been to the festival hall myself, but like when you feel it seep through the walls, you know, Corcoran very literally, because yeah. everything yeah. is signed yeah. there on the walls. But, you know, you feel it walking into a Madison Square Garden as well, like these, uh, you, you, you feel that history. But I mean, I'm intrigued in a way, like what wrestling did you actually grow up with? You know, because for me as a, as a Brit, like I was too late for world of sport. So it wasn't until that I sort of got into you know, wrestling on a, on a personal level and, and trained some and then, you know, learned everything from there. There was like, oh, World of Sport was this huge, amazing thing. There mm-hmm. wasn't just Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks every week. There were, there were amazing people there as well. Like, what did you grow up with? And then how were you introduced to all of those greats like Ron So I started with uh, WCW. That was my first exposure to pro wrestling as a, as a young uh, six or seven year old. And the first person I saw was Rey Mysterio Jr. And at the time I'd been watching Power Rangers. I was reading Spider-Man comics. So then to see this masked, high-flying daredevil wrestler, uh, luchador from Mexico, do all these crazy stunts in the ring, I was hooked instantaneously. I, I thought I was watching like a real-life episode of Power Rangers and it was just taking place in a boxing ring. That's That's what I comprehended at the time. And then... I asked to see more and I started following the product and, you know, I would watch Monday Nitro as often as I could and the Luchadors and the Cruiserweights were always the ones that I wanted to see. Um, second to Rey Mysterio was Sting, you know, the face paint, the uh, the overcoat coming down from the rafters. It was a very uh, big spectacle that they made about him and his character and persona. So again, I look back through my Spider-Man comics and I'm like, oh, he's just like one of the guys in these comic books that I'm reading. So I always, from that point, drew myself as a pro wrestler in very different um, variations. But I always said to myself, I was going to be a pro wrestler from that day forward. Once I got into wrestling and training with Madison and starting to learn more about the Australian scene, so initially it was more about the immediate timeline, uh, things that happened a couple of years before I started. And then once I got more into it and I started uh, beginning my career and having matches, I really sought out some of the history. And it was quite easy. They brought out a series that was on television, so they made DVDs. So we were able to sort of recap. And there's a few Australian historians that have followed Australian wrestling for a long time, and they've actually been able to find me footage. And when I've asked politely, they've been able to give me these DVDs and footage of these matches from Festival Hall. And I've gone back and gone, wow, there was this whole thing that happened before I was even a thought in someone's mind. So it's cool for me to go back and see that. And that's part of what the Ron Miller special is for me, is to me to make people aware of the history that we had, even if it's just from a name and it's just from a Google search. I want people to understand how strong Australian wrestling was and is now. See, what the Australian wrestling scene now reminds me of is the UK in 2012. And I think it's just about to explode. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it was, yeah, when I was, before I left for Japan, it was the, just sort of starting to come out of, like, the, the nadir of British wrestling, you know, where it was the, the tribute shows of, you know, the fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the I've fake seen the posters. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, even through that, there was still, like, the heritage of, like, the camp shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's that there were always people there to keep things going, like Madison, um, you know, that's like encouraging that, that we're keeping the, the sort of flame burning, you know. But, I mean, to you, I think to the fans watching now, they see stuff like the Romula special. They see, you know, I, I especially got, got it with watching the match he had with Rocky. 
of this very you know, you we've, we're getting more of a sense of rugby eagles style in the ring you know that we weren't necessarily getting as much of because you were sharing the the, the spotlight in the tag league with with ishimori um so that sort of versatility that you have where it's high flying it's high impact but it's very targeted it's very tactical um you know that's something that's that's really unique and um it's something that's really important i think in best of the super juniors this year right because you have such a diverse range of opponents yeah you know we've got like guys that are close to being heavyweight and then you've got guys that are flying you know you've got the the sort of flyers and the catchers in the same block kind of thing i mean how's it been sort of adapting from one opponent to the next it's been difficult in a process, especially in such short turnarounds for some of the matches. And we're going to experience that in, you know, less than a day's time from recording this because we've got that stretch of three Corricans back to back and that's three singles matches back to back. So that's less than 24 hours to prepare for each one unless I'm ahead of myself and preparing <laughs> preparing now. But it, the tactics I use, they, they can often work on different styles of opponents, and that's why I've incorporated that into my wrestling. You know, if they're uh, more quick and agile or maybe they like to bounce around the ring a little bit more as a high flyer, taking out one of their legs works in my advantage because it limits what they're able to do in that sense. But then if I'm with someone that's, you know, closer to that heavyweight borderline, and they're stronger, they might hit harder than me. If I can take them down and chop them down a peg and keep them floored for most of the match, I, I'm the taller person in that situation, and that advantages me because I can strike from above down below. So that's what it's all about. Uh, it's working. Um, I might still have to adapt mid-match. Uh, people can throw anything and everything out there. You know, uh, planning for a match with Taguchi, and then planning for a match with Bushi are two very different matches to have. Uh, and then you've got someone like uh, Doki in the mix who's almost an unknown to yep. a lot of us. And yeah. there's not a lot of footage to watch as an archive. Um, I've been studying his matches backstage and watching the monitors and going back onto New Japan World to make sure I can plan for what he may do. Because even though he's had you know three singles matches, I don't think he's unleashed his full potential because he's definitely saving some for the backup tanks and that's what we might see come out and i need to kind of be ready for what that might be of all the opponents you face so far in new japan who do you think has been the most challenging rocky definitely gave me a fight that i didn't expect from him he he kind of put a little bit of self-doubt from his speeches and his his words that he offered before the tournament, like he, he was talking about his age and how long he's been around. So it was kind of like you get into a false sense of security with that. And then he brought a lot of fire and passion, which I didn't see coming. But Ren Narita, that boy hits hard and he's got that passion and you can feel that in his elbows and in his kicks and the suplex that he gave me towards the end of the match. I was very lucky not to get caught in that because I think that could have finished yeah. me like he's finished other matches. But uh, the timing just wasn't right for him and he wasn't able to hold on to the pinfall there. I was watching, I saw Kuniaki Kobayashi put on Twitter the other day that like a, a picture, it was a picture from an old magazine. It was Carl Gotch watching uh, Maeda do that same suplex. And it was just uncanny, you know, the form between Akira Maeda and Ren Narita. You know? And that's like big shoes to fill you know because i think you know when when i'm on commentary we, we make those those connections almost and it kind of does put pressure i think probably on the athletes when you say i know it looks like a kiramedo yeah. you know when you think you know it looks like tatsumi fujinami then that 
you know, sort of unintentionally puts a puts pressure on these guys. But certainly, you know, when there's something to drive for, and with Rocky as well, that he went from there to Osprey, and you know, I mean, I'm sure you're. Is there anybody? I mean, conversely, you know, we talked about Osprey before, but is there anybody apart from? Uh, and you mentioned Doki. Is there anyone where you're really sort of scouring those matches? and trying to find somewhere that, that you can go, I can do this from here. Or I'm doing that with everyone, if mm-hmm. I'm being honest. Um, but, uh, you know, someone that I faced in, in the tag league before was Yo. So I'm definitely scouting him. And he had an incredible match with Will Ospreay. And again, mm-hmm. I think that was another fighting performance that people didn't see coming, uh, especially against someone of Will's caliber. So to see Yo put up such a an intense fight, uh, I was looking at what he was doing and what he was able to stumble Will with because I feel like he had some uh, positivity from that and he's going to try those same tactics again in his matches because he came very close to winning that match. So now I'm, I'm looking to target those approaches. Bandito is a man that's beaten me before in another ring in another country, so uh, I don't want to suffer the same result from that match we had last year, so I'm going to be looking to avenge that loss for me personally, and I'm trying to see what he's pulling out in a New Japan ring, what he's done to his style, because it's been almost a year since we had that singles contest, and you know, I'd, I'd like to see how he's evolved and what what he's done to change his style because there's a reason he's invested the super juniors. He's one of the greatest junior heavyweights going today. And I was fortunate enough to watch his match against Will Ospreay at WrestleCon in the USA. Yeah, I was there. So definitely some scouting and I'm usually doing it from a position that people don't see that I'm doing it from. So that's part of being the sniper Mm -hmm. of the skies. I'm watching them when they're maybe not necessarily watching me. But I'm planning everything. I've, I've got a lot of things in the works, Chris. And hopefully, not only do I catch them off guard, but I might catch you off guard as well. Right, yeah. So uh, right now, you're 2-1. We've got seven more matches still to go. Hopefully, you know, by, by from your standpoint, hopefully June 5th, you're, you'll be in the finals, Summer Hall. Hopefully, that would lead to June 9th and Dominion or Sacramento. Hopefully, that would lead to the Junior Heavyweight Championship. Mm-hmm. And so who is my pick to the, win, Chris? No problem. There you go. You're you're bought in already. But like the, <laughs> the potential is there for you to be in Melbourne with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title and potentially in a title match. You know, what I mean, how does is that weighing on your mind to an extent? And if you were in that ideal scenario, who would you want opposite you? I kind of spoke about it after one of my matches on this tour already. I said, picture the best of the Super Juniors tournament winner standing in the middle of the ring in Melbourne in Festival Hall with the trophy high above, right? Like that's that's going to be a great um, honor for not only myself, but our country. Uh, we'd love to see something like that. I know if it wasn't me, if there was another Australian in this tournament, then that's the person I'd be rooting for as well. But uh, now that you've put that thought into my head, Chris, uh, the possibilities of holding both the best of the Super Juniors trophy and the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title in Melbourne, in Festival Hall, and then taking it on to the next night in Sydney, that's that's a, a pretty cool thing to think about. And now I think I've got a new approach and I think I've got to plan some new strategies for some longevity here because it's not just going to be about these tournament matches, it's going to be about a bit more after that. Right, it's, it's the thing, it never stops. No. You know what I mean? You go from best of the Super Juniors and then it's the summer and then, you know, before you know it, so good. So, 
Well, just remember, they made Jay an honorary Australian after he won the belt. Maybe you can become an honorary Canadian? (laughs) (laughs) The Commonwealth. (laughs) But if you wanted wanted to know who I would see as sort of like an ideal opponent, uh, whether I am holding the Junior Heavyweight Championship, I mean, if I don't have it by Osaka J-Hole, if I need to wait until an opportunity in Melbourne, then obviously, you know, someone like Dragon Lee. He holds the belt right now. That's the person that I would want to face because you need to face the champion to become the champion. Sure. If I've already beaten Dragon Lee by that point, though, oh, man, the opportunities are endless, you know. What, what, what we could do is we could do an all-bullet club match and we could do a, a sort of a repeat of MSG but have Ishimori, ELP, and myself in an all-bullet oh. club triple threat to see who really deserves that championship because I know Ishimori wants it back at all costs. I know El Fantasma wants to prove how good he is, and I felt that firsthand. So how do we decide the ranking order of the junior heavyweights in the Bullet Club? We fight it out. And now I understand that. Well, actually, Robbie, I'm going to teach you. You, you used the word senpai. Maybe that would be the Japanese word of the week. Ah, yeah. So we tend to have on this podcast a, a Japanese word or phrase for people to go home with. And uh, senpai, as you mentioned, the, the senpai-kohai relationship so senpai, you might have heard. Yeah. Uh, have you heard the word kohai? Uh, I have not. So kohai is the, the other way. You know, so if... Uh, you know, Ishimori is your senpai, you are his... Kohai. kohai. There you yeah. go. Kohai. So, you know, that, that sort of... That relationship goes all the way through. And, you know, usually the senpai looks after the kohai and buys some dinner or whatever. But, uh, you know, in reverse, you have to do a lot of certain favors, things like that. We very often see the young lions... Definitely. Yeah. Right oh, yeah. When it comes to, even with Minoru Suzuki, it's not the direct senpai, you know, they're certainly taking their lumps. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's a, that's a good word of the day. So, June 29th, June 30th, Melbourne and Sydney, Southern Showdown. Then more still to go. Uh, Best of Super Juniors, June 5th. Uh, as we're recording this, still the international, the inbound tickets. Yes. On sale, so, like, um, go and check those out. Uh, Dominion's nearly all sold out. Uh, Dominion's almost near, near sold out. Well, actually, it did sell out, then we opened then up we more opened seats. Up more seats. So, uh, you know, plenty going on. Um, plenty to keep your eye on when it comes to Robbie Eagles. If we want to keep an eye on Robbie Eagles on the Sniper of the Skies uh, when he's not in the ring, and perhaps scheming and, and plotting away on uh, on social media. Where, where can we do that? Uh, I'm pretty much at Robbie Eagles on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I believe Instagram is at Robbie Eagles BC, so I can represent where I've, where I've put it down in New Japan so far and what I thank, thank New Japan for bringing me into. And, uh, you know, that's my way of repaying the favor to people like Farley Sun and all my senpais in the Bullet Club. Cool, excellent. Of course, uh, I am at Reason JP and New Japan as a whole is at NJPW Global. Uh, for all those information, for all the events that we talked about, go to NJPW1972.com. And. Well, I mean, what I've, been, what I've been saying this whole tournament is, uh, you know, it's a bit of a throwback to the original Bullet Club because I'm always about going back into history and wanting to represent where we've all come from. So for me, it's about watching the best of the super juniors and seeing the rise and continual rise of the bullet club junior heavyweights and that my friends is for real okay,